Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... That's ultimately what investors will be looking at. So they need to see that your solution is loved and wanted by real people, and you have clear evidence of this. And for Bloom, this was building a community through events and having a wait list where people pledge to invest. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 310 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Camille Socket-Clerk. Camille is the founder of Bloom Impact Investing, a fintech startup with a climate impact mission. Her passion is to help Australians become heroes of our climate transition by making climate impact investing easy, accessible and financially rewarding. Bloom offers a mobile investing app allowing people to invest in a climate impact fund starting from $500. By investing with Bloom, people can do well and do good by supporting climate impact companies and projects such as solar farms or recycling infrastructure. But Bloom is not just a financial product. It's also a community of people using their money, power for good, gathering every month to learn about impact investing and sustainable finance. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Camille's insights into the impact investing space and what it takes to get a startup off the ground. Camille, thanks very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. Let's get started, Camille. It'd be great to learn a little bit more about your background and what it was that led to your interest and passion in impact investing. Of course. So for 10 years, I actually worked in the digital marketing space. And back in 2018, I read a report that changed my life, which was the fifth IPCC report. At that point, I learned that we had 10 years left to shift our entire economy if we wanted to avoid catastrophic climate change. At that point in time, I switched completely my career to focus on climate impact. And by joining a company called Energy Lab, I discovered the enormous opportunity that existed in climate impact and the clean energy transition. And Mm. I really totally fell in love with it. Wow. So when I started working for Energy Lab, I started to have a frustration and at the same time a fascination for the clean energy industry. My personal frustration was that I could see the growth and the opportunity to invest in clean tech and clean energy, but I couldn't do it for myself. Most impact funds required me to be a sophisticated investor. In other words, just a wealthy investor with an income level of $250,000. Or the impact funds I wanted to invest in required me to have $50,000. And I thought that was unfair. And this is where Bloom comes from. I wanted to make investing in clean energy and clean tech more accessible. Because it sounds like that's a real barrier traditionally as a sophisticated investor or as someone who needs to invest that minimum $50,000 just 
doesn't sound like it makes it easy for everyday people to, to get in. And- Absolutely, and it's such a shame because not many people know, but clean tech investing and clean energy investing is a huge opportunity. There's a, an index that I love talking about to raise awareness around this called the Deloitte Clean Tech Index. It's essentially tracking the performance of Australian clean tech stocks. And did you know, Tom, that it has returned a 39.7% five-year growth versus the ASX 200, who returned 13%. The Deloitte sector has been outperforming the ASX 200 for now six years in a row, and Mm. no one knows about it, and no one can access it. Is it because those that do know about it just want a bigger part of the pie? Potentially, it's also because investing in clean energy, like solar projects and wind energy projects, requires a lot of capital. Yeah and it's very illiquid as an investment it's not well suited to investors or individuals like you and me need investment to be safe and liquid we need to get our money in and out of an investment easily yeah yeah. and no one has designed a product to allow this and this is where bloom comes in exactly and so Typically, what we do is not rocket science, but again, no one has done it before. We blend those illiquid investment assets, so solar farms, recycling facilities, with more liquid investments, so stocks internationally listed or domestically listed, Mm -hmm. so that you and I can invest in impactful projects like farms, yet you can still get your money in and out easily. That sounds like it's certainly opening up some new sort of investment pathways. For those that are keen to just at least start experimenting in this market or getting in there below that sort of $50,000 range, I mentioned earlier you're the CEO of Bloom Impact Investing and this app that you've just recently launched alongside your co-founder, Bertrand Caron, is basically making it possible for people to invest in these companies that are creating this better world. So since launching recently, it's my understanding that if I look on the app, your community has already invested $500,000 and a few weeks now launched. That's right. So tell us more about specifically this app and where are you taking it? What are your goals for the next year or so? That's right. So the app, like you said, allows people to invest in a climate impact fund starting from $500. We've launched back in late March and we have now over 100 customers who've invested half a million. It's fantastic to see the response. I think Australian people are ready to put power behind their money. Mm. And the app essentially allows people to deposit their money by direct debit and automate their investment, adding a little bit every fortnight or month. Our goal is to really scale the amount of capital we can deploy in impactful clean energy projects and companies like solar farms, solar energy, green bonds. In other words, we really want our customers to know that our money is going towards a good impact. Mm, That makes sense. How do we know though that they are going towards creating a a good impact? What sort of due diligence are you guys doing on, on the people that you invest in? Of course, I'm so glad you're asking this question because greenwashing is a huge issue in financial services. So how do we do this at Bloom? We decided to solely focus on climate science-based investing. This means we're not just doing thematic investing, so throwing a few solar stocks in Mm. there and calling it climate impact. We use two of the most robust climate science models 
which I really recommend your listeners have a look at, yep. called Project Drawdown and Climate Works. Yep. These two climate science models map our transition towards net zero in all parts of the economy. What Bloom did was just reusing the climate solution model that these research groups have put together. This gave us 82 climate solutions that we could invest in. Mm. With Bloom, our customers have the confidence that each and every investment is mapped to at least one of these climate solutions that have the potential for removing gigatons of emissions from the atmosphere. Mm. That's how we think about impact, essentially. There's a huge and growing interest in understanding, mapping and measuring impact. It's, it's hugely important for social enterprise, for startups that are impact-led, right? Is it possible for us to really understand what those metrics are around the impact being created? It's very hard. <laughs> we haven't cracked it ourselves. Everyone would love a very nice and neat CO2 emissions removed metric. It's complicated for many reasons, but the main ones that I can share with you today is the fact that companies and organizations don't report on their impact the same way. So it's very yeah. hard to have a monogenous, yeah. <laughs> what's the word, metric. And also it's really hard to trace the um, truth of this reporting unless it's backed by blockchain or a totally transparent and traceable mechanism, it it remains a reporting done by a company or an organization. It's hard to audit. That does make sense. Do you guys have some goals or targets in terms of the amount that you are looking to get invested by your customers in order to make that impactful change? Oh, of course. We hope to reach 20 million in impactful capital next year. It's a pretty good and healthy goal. (laughs) Exactly. We'd have a good stretch goal. Now, look, in terms of talking about raising capital on this journey to get Bloom off the ground, raise 650k plus in investment. So I know that doing that is not an easy journey for many people starting up. So really keen to, to learn what advice you would then give to other founders who are seeking investment. What tips and, and tricks would you recommend? Mm, that's right. I would say, look, there are many ways you can raise capital, but my two key takeaways from the journey is that you need to build momentum first Mm. and ask for advice. So about building momentum, instead of asking for money, I think it's best to focus on validating your idea with real customers because that's ultimately what investors will be looking at. So they need to see that your solution is loved and wanted by real people and you have clear evidence of this. For Bloom, this was building a community through events and having a wait list where people pledge to invest. And when we had over 600 people pledging over $3 million, investors Mm. started taking us seriously. Yeah. The second one is asking for advice. So I love the saying that ask for advice, you will get money and ask for money, you will get advice. (laughs) I think that's very true. And the less you need money, the easier it is to ask for it. That seems a little bit backward, but investors need to feel like you could succeed even without their money. It's a bit the chicken and egg, but they also need to know that they can trust you and you can build relationship with them in the long run. You need to work on this relationship really early on. This is why what I mean by 
ask for advice, build relationship first. And then when it's time, when you've proved to them that over and over again, you are delivering on what you promised you would do, yeah. then this is when the money becomes easier to raise. Mm, yep, yeah, absolutely. I'll just add one last thing. Many of my investors have been people I had as mentors mm. um, very early on. Some have seen my progress over two years. So it's a long-term game for sure. Absolutely. And change happens at the speed of trust, right? It's really about building the trust in those relationships and showing that consistency and showing that you will do as you say. That's right. Perfect. Okay. That makes sense. You talk about mentors quickly and just on a a very quick side note here, mentor whiplash. I'm sure having all of those different voices come in and provide advice, questions or strategy over the last few years may have seen different views being voiced, different advice being given. How did you deal with that? That's such a great question because that's something I've done poorly, I think, at the beginning. I think due to a lack of confidence and perhaps the fact that I was tackling an industry I was not really comfortable in, which is financial services. I spent too much time talking to too many different people, hearing too many opinions. My take on it is I now prioritize feedback from people who've done what I want to achieve. And I take more seriously the advice from other entrepreneurs than I would say people working in safer environments, I'm going to call it nine times out of 10. The best advice I receive is from people who've built things themselves. I'll just leave it at that. That is a fantastic insight there. Very relatable. So look, in your journey to get this investment that we spoke about, what did that reveal about gaps that exist to better support social entrepreneurs when it comes to getting finance? In my humble opinion, there is really a gap at the very beginning. And this is where programs that lack Elevate Plus, that you run, Tom, are so important. I think there's still a huge bias in thinking that purpose-led ventures cannot be as profitable as standard companies. There are unfortunately some expectations set by fast growing tech SaaS models that have shaped investors' expectations about making a quick 10x investment return. It's so hard to compete with. That is not often how you build long lasting social change. Mm. For example, Gloom is often compared to other companies like Raze or Spaceship, but these companies have zero community focus and zero environmental benefit. So the money they will spend on advertising and growth, we will spend in research and ethical endeavors. So I think there's a a gap in education. The other gap I've noticed is perhaps with the grant system, I see a bit of a mismatch between the amount of work required to apply to these grants and the resources available in social enterprises. There are some wonderful initiatives to support social enterprises and female founders in Australia, and I really commend these programs. But the work required to apply is astronomical. And I think it's not fair to ask such an application process to very small structures who have to choose between running their business and (laughs) applying for these grants. I wish they were a bit simpler to apply for. That makes sense. And completely can relate in the people that we've worked with who who are trying to strike that balance between 
getting the money in at that, that early stage, but also getting the job done and building and growing and taking the enterprise forward. So it's a really great point you bring up there. And look, we're very proud uh, to have worked with you on our Elevate Plus Accelerator program. And that was a solid couple of years ago now, Camille. Mm-hmm. And you've come a long way. Like at that time, Bloom was very much an idea uh, and you've really persistently hard on, on creating this and, and you've broken through many barriers. So what were some of the key lessons that you took away having gone through that program and what would be valuable for other purpose-led entrepreneurs seeking to create impact in terms of mm. your advice or insights? First of all, I'm so grateful for the Elevate Elevate Plus program, Tom. You're right. Back then, it was just an idea and a vision, and there was so much work ahead. I guess you trusted me and gave me a chance. So really grateful. But in terms of takeaways, I think the key learning for me was maturing my vision of what it means to have an impact. I think it's all well and good and easy to start with a good intention, but creating a theory of change, um, thinking about your impact measurement is hard work. And I think Elevate is giving people a better idea and some tools to really shape the impact you want to make as a company. The other thing I would say is the program helped me think about every single aspect of the business, but also it helped me understand that there are things that needs to happen in the right order. <laughs> mm. It's so easy to get lost when you start a company with all the things that you have to build. Yep. But for example, Elevate taught me that you have to start with customer validation and really nailing your understanding of the problem. And that's a hundred times more crucial than having your brand or financial model all sorted. Great points there. And I think absolutely, that something that we've noticed with the founders that we've been working with is that we primarily invest in people, right? We invest in, in people like yourself who know that when it gets tough, they're going to keep working. They're going to persist. They're going to find ways around barriers and they're going to just keep doing that hard work and, and realize when it's also time to change and, and time to continue refining that model. So again, well done on, on all the hard work, Camille. Let's talk about some other inspiring projects, though, because I know you're a lot of great projects happening and different initiatives. So which ones have you come across recently Mm. that you think are creating some really great positive social change? That's right. So I'm going to stay on topic of finance, and that's a good bridge to your previous question, because I'm, I'm really not in love with our solution at Bloom. I'm in love with the problem, which is how can we change our financial system for nature and not extract our earth resources for profit. I commend all organizations that help people draw the link Mm. between our financial system and climate impact, as well as providing financial education. I am really worried, Tom, about the climate and social impact of investment schemes like cryptocurrency trading and buy now pay later companies such as afterpay and such they really push people to invest in risky strategies and spend money they don't have on things they don't need in terms of organizations that i admire and i look at i love future super they help people put their super out of fossil fuels and they use their brand as a voice to Mm. expose the fossil fuel industry and call out political inaction on climate change. Another one I really love is market forces. So 
that's a not-for-profit doing independent research on the ties between financial institutions, yep. such as banks, superannuations, and the climate crisis. It really helps people lift their awareness, but also it doesn't always have to be about donations. Yeah. <laughs> but it's market forces help people lobby their banks and financial institutions to cut ties with financing harmful projects and help fix the climate crisis. Mm. So I really love their work. Yeah, a few great projects there. So thanks for sharing those. So to wrap up then, Camille, what books or, or resources would you recommend to our listeners? I would recommend Investing to Save the Planet by Alice Ross, a brilliant demonstration of the link between your money and your impact. Alice was a reporter at Financial Times, she writes things in such a brilliant way. Really recommend. Sounds like a great book. So we'll stick a link through to that book and those other initiatives in the article for all the listeners that are keen to click on through. They can find the information there. So Camille, well done again on all the hard work, your persistence, your passion and grit. Thanks so much for your really generous time and insights today. And we'll look forward to touching base down the track. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter. Thank you.